Thank you for listening to The Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Good evening and welcome to The Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Dennis Romboy, editor and reporter with the Deseret News, Michelle Quist, columnist with the Salt Lake Tribune, and Marty Carpenter, president of 24-9 Communications. So glad to have you with us. This is an interesting night. We've got breaking news and also some stories that are going to show why politics is such an interesting sport. I'm going to start with some uh, polling that we've done with the Deseret News, uh, Dennis, uh, just hot off the press. And I want to talk about the Senate race in particular. Uh, we just asked a question uh, as part of the Deseret News and the Hinckley Institute of Politics. If the election were held today, this is in the Senate race, who would you vote for? This is to all regist re registered voters in the state. 36% Mike Lee, 34% Evan McMullen. Talk about this poll. <clears throat> It's a close race, it looks like, shaping up to be a, a hot one as we were 45 days away from Election Day. Um, what I found interesting about the poll was there's still a lot of undecided voters, even though there's just a two-point margin between the, uh, the two candidates. And a lot of those voters are moderates and liberals, and it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, who can, who can grab those, especially the moderate voters. Well, so it's so interesting. Michelle, talk, break this down for a minute, because those are two interesting categories. You might not think that You'd see a 16% don't know uh, for two candidates that people seem to know so well. Talk about those two categories that Dennis mentioned. I'll just give you the number, because you can break down the don't knows this way. Of that group, 23% of moderates said they don't know. 22% of liberals said they don't know. Well, I mean, I think it makes sense because they don't necessarily know the candidates. Of course, they're familiar with Mike Lee, but they don't necessarily know a lot about um, Evan McMullen and uh, his his positions are still kind of wishy-washy. Um, granted, this is very uncomfortable position for Senator Lee to be in. You know, it's a very close race. It hasn't been this close in quite a while, and um, I, I, I think he's likely surprised at how close it is. And hopefully, he's taking it serious. But um, the McMullen campaign has been doing this since last year. He uh, announced with Democratic support from the state, and so um, the only ones who are, you know, not on board are the, are the far, far, you know, far left. Um, but those that are just kind of um, wanting anybody but Mike Lee um, are are really seriously giving this consideration, and that's why we see the numbers. I think the moderates are probably torn between: Do I go with Mike Lee, who I've probably voted for in the past as a Republican, or do I take a chance on on Evan McMullen, who says he's not going to caucus with either party? And if I'm interested in trying to win back the Senate for Republicans, yeah. do I want to vote for for an independent candidate? I wish we saw a breakdown on those numbers uh, by gender. I wonder if the um, uh, gender-related issues have made a difference in, in who they're going to vote for. Mm -hmm. I know that women are more in favor, of, according to the poll, are more behind McMullen than they are Mike Lee. Mm -hmm. That so, makes sense. Marty, yeah. you've, you've worked on so many campaigns to be so close to these as well. Help us with sort of that calculation there about who these candidates need. Uh, so Mike, Mike Lee turns out has a pretty good section of all those conservatives. Talk about what he needs and, what, and who McMullen needs. Well, I, I would start by saying this, that campaigns do very much believe in polling but they believe in polls, plural. And so that will look at trend lines within a certain poll, so a Hinkley poll over a number of months, and I think we've done three of those. But they'll look at other polls as well. And I know from talking to some folks in the Lee camp in particular that they're polling, their internal polling, and I know we kind of shrug at that from the outside, but internally, it's a poll you paid for and you wanted to go get good data. So if it says, hey, we're up a little bit more, you're going to look at the entire 
uh, spectrum of polls there, the, the, the full thing and say, hey, we, we may be up three here, but we are up 12 here, so we're probably somewhere in the middle. Now, what voters does he need to go get? He obviously needs to make sure that the super conservatives show up and vote. His advantage there, they will. Uh, as far as the moderates, he has to essentially make the, can the case that Dennis was pointing out, that he's, he's the one you vote for if you want Republicans to be in charge. And if you're squishy on him, then you're going to end up uh, look, taking a look at least at McMullen. Mm -hmm. uh, Dennis, one final point on that particular question is uh, we tried to break out uh, how likely you are to, per, to show up. The numbers change a little bit for those people that said, I am absolutely going to vote. Definitely. The people that say, definitely I'm voting, um, uh, Mike Lee has a 40 to 35 percent advantage in, in, in definite voters. At least they say they're definitely going to vote. We'll see if they actually do that. Um, but yeah, so he has a little bit more of an advantage with, with uh, voters who say they're definitely turning out. Mm -hmm. But Mike Lee's money spend does indicate that he is taking this, the polls, all the polls, seriously. Mm -hmm. so. Uh, so for one second... Even uh, Evan McMullen's polls, I mean, all of his uh, fundraising emails saying, I'm down by one point based on Evan McMullen's internal polling. Um, please send me some more money. Yeah. You know? And saying so. you're definitely going to vote, everyone says they're definitely going to vote, right? Are you in favor? It's like right. asking someone, do you like America? Yes, I like America, of course, but right. that doesn't mean that you necessarily are going to actually go Put cast that ballot. Right, that's... It might still be sitting box. on your desk or your kitchen table on yeah. November 9th. I was surprised there was a percentage or two of people who said they were not going to. It was always <laughs> interesting. But, but, Michelle, one more thing on this, because we look at the favorables as well. And, and one thing that uh, the candidates are looking at is, you know, the question is, do you approve or disapprove of the performance of Senator Lee? Of course, this is about Senator Lee because he's the one person in office. You can measure this over time. Uh, he was at 40 40 percent approval, 45 percent disapproval. But the the behind the story uh, number here is his popularity with Republicans. He still sits at 54 percent approval with Republicans. Yeah, he's he's upside down with the 45-40, and and the 54 percent doesn't isn't really a great number. You know, he's he's the the uh, senator. He's the Republican senator from a red state. He's been throwing out red meat, and and people love him at convention, and yet he's only sitting at 54 uh percent. -huh. At the end of the day, though, there is no greater advantage in Utah politics than having the word Republican next to your name on the ballot. He has that. Evan McMullen doesn't, and that's going to get you a certain number of votes just by people who are going to mark next mm -hmm. to the R. Luckily, they can't check the box anymore. Cannot. That's true. No straight yeah. party. Straight party yeah. ticket. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, so, um, De Dennis, let, let's talk about this for, for just a moment about, because we, we just talked about every single poll ends with a candidate on either side raising money. <laughs> how, how big of a deal is money in that Senate race? It's a huge deal. And Mike Lee has a huge advantage, really. I mean, he's raised almost, what, $8 million so mm -hmm. far in this race. Um, he's spent almost $6 million, which right. was more than he spent on either of his two previous uh, election campaigns. It, it, they haven't been really super competitive like this one. Um, so money's important, and he's getting it from, from all kinds of sources, PACs and Republican conservative organizations, whereas uh, Evan McMullen is shunning all of that kind of money and saying, I'm only taking donors, uh, individual donations. So, Michelle, for, for comparison's sake, Evan McMullen has raised 3.2 in the latest filing and spent 1.9. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, the, the non-incumbents always have difficulty raising money, um, especially in the posture that he's in, not being part of a party. He doesn't have party support. And I'm surprised he's, he's raised that much. Uh -huh. uh, I just have to ask you, because you're the one person at the table that's run for office. Yeah. How, how big of a deal is this? How difficult is it it's, to really go out and try to get the cash for a, for a message and a campaign? It's difficult. It's difficult, and it's hard, and it's awkward. Um, and, um, you know, you, you have to get comfortable with it and you have to get um, somebody who knows how to do it.
And at the big like money level, guy. at the big money levels, though, you, you've you've spent. Uh, I've probably spent the most. You're the one who's run, but I've I've written the most checks yeah. from somebody yeah. else's fund. And I would say that it, it does get a little bit tricky at the end to buy things. There, you can actually have more money than there is inventory to go out and buy. At least that's strategically viable. I would say right now, Lee has all the money he needs to go out and buy whatever he needs to help make this happen. And don't forget, it's not just about what's in his coffer. It's on either side, McMullen or Lee. It's about what's being spent by outside groups who are also buying up airtime and digital spaces. Yeah. Talk, talk about what is happening from outside groups in this race. Well, I think you're seeing a lot of the, the, the interesting balance on the messaging positioning on this is that uh, the campaigns get to spend, or at least uh, let's take Lee for example, he gets to spend on messages about how he's a good guy. And then the PACs come out in and drop the hammer. Here's why Evan McMullen mm -hmm. is evil. I don't know that we've seen it as much in re reverse, although you're seeing outside spending uh, on the McMullen side attacking Lee. Um, but I, I can speak specifically to, to the Lee strategy that way, that they're letting the outside groups, or at least there's, there's nothing they can do to stop the outside groups from having this kind of anti-messaging. But that's where you're seeing the balance. It actually, the outside money allows campaigns to go be good guys in how they want to message about themselves. Yeah, but the voter can rarely, rarely distinguish between who's, who's paying for the yeah. message. And so if they see a lot of negative, they're gonna assign it to whoever's campaign on behalf of that negative campaign, uh, advertisement is. And so it's always a, a, a tricky thing to, to decide how to do that. We always say negative campaigning doesn't work in the state. I, I don't know that it doesn't work, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know that, that that's true. Yeah. We say that, but I don't right. know that that's true. Uh -huh. I think people would wish that it doesn't work. It <laughs> definitely does work because we are not fundamentally different beings than yeah. the rest of the country. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We get more offended negative. by it. Right, right. Like, oh, how could right. you? How could uh -huh. you do that? How could you say that? Which yeah. in this case, I think, you know, both sides have a way that they can use that negative to their advantage because if you're going back to your earlier question about what type of voters or what does Mike Lee need to do, he just needs to put enough doubt in people's minds who maybe don't love him the way his base does, uh, that this other guy isn't the best alternative because mm -hmm. is he really a Republican? Like there are a lot of those doubtful messages you can float out there mm -hmm. that are to his advantage. And is that really gonna ramp up here in the next weeks before election day? We can see more of that. We see a lot already on the airwaves and social yeah. media, I mean, it's all over the place. Not to too. mention election day is what, right? What is election day? There's the day when all the ballots have to be in, but people can start voting three weeks before that when they get their ballots, so. Right, yeah. the ballots are coming in the mail in the not too distant future. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Um, let's talk uh, for a moment about uh, our congressional districts. I mean, we've done some polling on this too. I can go through the numbers, but it looks like every incumbent, Dennis, is completely safe. Completely safe. I don't know if there's any other way to say it. I, there's really no challenge from the Democrats. It's a couple of them are polling okay, but but not uh, near enough uh, to, to take out any of the incumbent Republican congressmen. I mean, it's hard for the party to come together and, and run, you know, help, help people run races because the party kind of gave up at the beginning with the Senate race. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, the, I, I would say the party kind of stepped out of the whole election and they've left all, all down-ticket candidates kind of flailing. They're all on their own, basically. So you, you say all these candidates are just doing their own stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, they, I mean they, they likely have party help, but nobody's paying attention because the party has already dismissed itself. Some my of them haven't raised any money even, so. Yeah, my biggest yeah. anxiety was, was that you were going to ask me to name the four Democrats running for the House <laughs> seats because I don't know that I could actually do that, even though you <laughs> sent me a list of them last night and I should have read through that and committed them to memory. But, you know, at this point, those four races, we know exactly what's going to happen. Uh -huh. So how do you how do you put position the Democratic Party? So with that ba that backdrop and considering even for the Senate race, the Democrats voted to not put forward Kel Weston and to support Evan McMullen. I think it's a really interesting time to be a Democrat in Utah because 
you sort of didn't participate in the one, mm -hmm. and the rest you probably could have not participated and nobody would have noticed. So I don't know exactly what the game plan and strategy is for the Democratic Party in the state. It, it's based in reality that they just don't have a lot of voters in the state, but I mean, they're in, a, they're, they're in a tough spot, and I don't know that they've made their positioning better going into the next election cycle and the one after that. No, and we said this when they made this decision during the convention, was that they've, um, I mean, they've done damage for the next 10 years. Like, it, they'll, they'll need to, um, it'll take years for them to, to get uh, credibility back. Is it worse to run a Democrat and lose, like in the Senate race, right. or is it worse to say, not, to say we know win. we can't win, and then, <laughs> and then if Evan McMullen loses to Mike Lee, it's like, well, even if we try to run what I think somebody could say is a wolf in sheep's clothing, yeah. uh, then even then we can't win. So yeah. that, that seems soul-crushing to me. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, well, we had a story of, a few months back asking, has the Democratic Party basically given up here in the state? You know, um, in some ways it, lo it looks that way. It's not I so mean, much a Democratic Party as a Democratic get-together, right? Let's talk about some political intrigue, because some of these things are just, you, you just haven't seen before, just so interesting. Because I'll tell you what, it's hard to be a candidate named Steve in Centerville. <laughs> Okay, this is breaking news. Marty, give us what's happening there with this, this race. Uh, you have Trevor Lee, uh, who, who won at convention. Uh, Steve Handy, who was in the legislature for a very long time, lost at convention, but was not done. But this is just a story that keeps on giving. This might be the most interesting race we have in the entire state. I know everyone wants to look at the Mike Lee, Evan McMullen race, but this one's actually really intriguing because Steve Handy, known as a moderate in the House, doesn't go gather signatures, puts his fate to the delegates. That ends up being a bad gamble, and the delegates pick someone who may very well not be electable, even though I've said the best advantage you can have is having the word Republican next to your name. So Steve Handy runs a write-in campaign. I think he's got a shot to win because he is fairly well known for being in the House for quite some time. Uh, he's had some ecclesiastical service in that part of Davis County. That means people in his district know him from beyond just his time in the House. Uh, this is the one, I don't know if I'd bet the money on Handy yet, but. I won't be surprised if he's still in that seat come the 2023 generals. Okay, so interesting, and, and I want to correction. This, this is Layton, you know, the, adjacent to yeah. uh, this this district. But go, go ahead, Michelle, because I want you to talk about this and this late this latecomer. Well, yeah, this latecomer comes in and, and files also to to be a write-in candidate, um, and his name is also Steve. Uh, <laughs> I forget his last name, and it doesn't really matter, but. His name is Steve, so that what means that what that means is that a, a voter now cannot just write Steve on the ballot, and and uh, e even if they intend that vote for Steve Handy, it won't be counted for Steve Handy because it just says Steve, and there are two Steve write-in candidates. Yeah. So you have to now write the first and the last name in order to get that vote. And who knows if it was collusion? Who knows if yeah. it was a, a you know a, a part of a pact between. Trevor and and this new Steve. I'm going to call him new Steve. New Steve. Um, okay. But I mean, it's certainly interesting to watch. If you can't write, at least make an attempt at a last name. Should your vote really count? Like, I'm so convinced I want to vote for this person. I know his first name, yeah. and that's it. I mean, I mean, I, likely if, if like you're going to win a write-in, people know you, and so they know your full, your uh -huh. both, yeah. both your names. And I guess so. Steve Handy finds all this a little bit too uh, coincidental, right? Uh, so that's what he said. A little, a little fishy, possibly. You know, I don't know. Michelle mentioned collusion. I guess we don't and Trevor know. Trevor Lee's doing everything he possibly can to try 
to let Steve Hannity win this race in many ways. Like he keeps uh, kind of having some public messaging uh, challenges, yeah. I think is fair to say. But we're certainly saying Steve Handy a lot more. So yeah, so that, sure is, that is true. And, and for the sake of thoroughness here for our viewers too, so so Dennis, Utah is, is what they call a voter intent state, which is why this is so interesting. If you if you were trying to vote as a write-in for Steve Handy and you might have spelled Handy wrong, if you're the only Steve, the you know the clerk might would say, yeah, that's they intended to vote for Steve Handy. Close enough. I, I agree with Marty. I'm not sure that if you just write a first name in that that vote should count, but apparently our state yeah. does count those kinds of votes. So. It'll, it'd be interesting to see if actually people write in Steve and only write Steve and which Steve they intended to vote for. I guess those votes will probably get tossed out since there's two Steves. But I mean, but if you put Steve H or, you know, I, I don't know. Can't wait to see how this one plays out. Yeah. Let's talk about another elected official that's been in the press this week. Uh, the Utah State Treasurer, Marlo Oaks. As a very interesting headline, uh, Marty, we'll start with you on this one. He announced that he's going to pull one hundred million dollars in state money out of the investing firm BlackRock. These are the asset managers because of a push they had on environmental and the environmental and social agenda. And BlackRock, I want to make sure I get this right. There are around ten trillion dollars in investments, so it's not like we're going to make them collapse by doing this. But it is some pushback from an elected official saying, hey, you're starting to judge us on things uh, in, a, in a way that you're trying to push us into investing certain ways or acting a certain way or passing policies that are uh, that align with a certain ideology. I, I think it's uh, understandable to push back on that. But ultimately, I think most voters would say, if we've got state money that we're investing to try to get a return, what I care about most is that we get a return on the money. So I believe that's been what he's said, is that there are better ways to get a return on the money. And as long as you're meeting your fiduciary duty, I guess... That's where most people would likely fall. This whole environmental social governance issue came up at the state Republican convention, as I recall, and Marlo Oaks gave a speech about it and said how bad it is and, you know, we can't be involved in that as conservative Republicans. I think he got the largest ovation at the, at the convention outside of what Mike Lee got by talking about this, and a lot of people don't really understand ESG, what, what it is, what it means. Um, but yes, so, it apparently gets people pretty riled up. I think he was popular at convention, but uh, a, a typical voter might be uncomfortable to, to see their state treasurer um, start going on Fox News, right? Like, this, this isn't really where we want our treasurer to be. And um, the, the BlackRock is one of the big three financial. Um, and what, what they're trying to do is... Um, affect and reduce carbon emissions. And they can go through, they don't have to go through legislation and, and all the rigmarole of conventions and national or international uh, organizations mm -hmm. to go and affect change. And they can actually go and affect change by meeting with, with certain companies. And so I, I just think it's ironic that um, the treasurer is complaining about um, you know, using environmental policy or using financial uh, incentives to change environmental mm -hmm. policy while he's using an, a financial calculation to, you know, affect political policy. But if they want to change what the market force is, that's his reaction to the market force as well. And if we don't like this, we'll take our money somewhere else. It's $100 million here, $100 million there. Eventually, yep. it starts to be mm -hmm. real money. Yep. Right? So, so the final thing on this, so this ESG, just to make sure everyone knows, it stands for Environmental Social Governance. We're hearing a lot more of it. Uh, Dennis, and it's not just in Utah with, with our own treasurer, but we're starting to see other states 
take certain positions, particularly when it comes to certain industries, like Texas, for example, has a lot of extraction, or places in New York where they're trying to go particularly invest in companies that have environmental efforts underway. Yeah, and I, where does it stop? Where do you say, oh, I'm, this company does this, this company does that, so we can't invest in them, but we can invest in them. I, you know, I, I don't know. It seems very, very complicated to me. Well, I don't know. And I think BlackRock's intention is that um, these issues, carbon emissions and environmental um, issues, are going to affect financial bottom lines. And if you don't start taking that into account, your corporate, um, your corporate bottom line is 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 going to sink as well. And so, it, it, their their point is that. If, if a corporation or an organization or whatever, who, who, a fiduciary isn't looking at all the aspects that is affecting the bottom lines, then they're gonna be short. The question though becomes sort of take, take a personal um, political stance out of it, right? Are you comfortable with a group like this trying to push an agenda? Right now, if, if you're in the position where you say, I like that they're moving us in this direction on climate change, great, now take it and make it the exact opposite. What if they were saying, we're pushing to prohibit abortion? Would you still be as comfortable with your uh, w with the the same system being in place if they were pushing a different agenda? So if you're starting from the standpoint of do we like this based on what they're trying to push, now let's make it sort of the opposite and figure out do you still like their general involvement in the it or do you just sort of align with that particular issue? That could be mm -hmm. true if you think environmental issues are political. If you think environmental issues are just facts that affect the world, then it might be a little different. Mm -hmm. Uh, what, one more thing. So, Michelle, I, I want to ask you this question because we talked about this when you were on the show during the last season about uh, efforts on, on abortion and laws dealing with abortion. Uh, last week on our show, we talked about this letter that came from several members of the legislature, including Kara Birkeland and... And, uh, and, and, and several other, Carrie Ann Lisenby was the other one on this. So uh, it was one of those things, those letters that sounded pretty harsh, and we had more traction on that issue this week. Yeah, well, and the letter included, you know, citations to legal authorities, and it, and it um, said that, you know, you, we, can't, we can't arrest you now and we can't penalize you now, but we certainly will prosecute you later. First of all, they're not attorneys. They shouldn't be sending legal letters on uh, cover, you know, cover letters, House, House of Representatives cover letters. Um, second of all, they're also they're, they're legislators. They're not prosecutors. They can't threaten to prosecute somebody. Um, and and now they're saying that the new development is that they're saying, well, it was just our opinion, and you know we 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 agree we'll follow the law. Like, uh, I mean, they should really double check it, or I don't know if anybody's you know editing them or what's going on, but you know there should be some kind of a double check before they release these things because it, it's it's not the first time. Go ahead, Dennis. No, I was just thinking <clears throat> some of the. People that signed that uh, letter on House le le letterhead, well, they were their candidates. They're not House members. I, I don't understand how you can put your name on on a, a document purporting to be from the House of Representatives That's and you're right. not a member of the House. That's not right. to mention, there's an element of sort of stay in your lane. I think it's great if they have an opinion. I think it's great if they want to express their opinion. Uh, in, a, in a position where you're a member of the House, you are actually advantaged in doing that in a number of ways. You get to go pass the laws. You get to go right. work with your colleagues to pass those laws. Once they're passed, though, the legislative branch isn't the muscle mm -hmm. other than creating new laws. Mm -hmm. The executive branch is the muscle, and when there's a disagreement between those two, the judiciary gets to decide. That's kind of the fundamentals of how the system's set up. Have your opinion. Send the letter. I think you got to be real careful as a general legislative body to not get into that crossing the lane to where you're doing what the executive branch And does. the AG said he had nothing to do with this letter. Did, did say that. Okay, I'm gonna end with, a, with another note. I wanna talk about civilian politics. We had a very uh, significant visitor uh, this week at the Gary R. Herbert Institute for Public Policy. We had the former Vice President, Mike Pence, 
in the state of Utah giving a speech to students. I want to play a clip from that because he kind of got to the civility angle. Let's, let's watch this clip. I truly do believe that here in the year 2022 and in the years that follow, the American people have an opportunity to restore our national unity, to rebuild the bonds that unite us and renew the promise of every American of every race and creed and color if we build on a foundation of freedom. And I would submit if we continue to allow the the angry, radical voices on the extremes to keep dumping toxic waste into the headwaters of culture, our politics will only get more poisonous over time. Uh, Dennis, give us a comment on this speech. It's interesting because we know him well, and this context is interesting. <clears throat> it's interesting given the fact that he worked for maybe perhaps the most uncivil <laughs> president that we've had, and he's calling for civility. Um, I, yeah, I mean, yes, I agree with all. Who doesn't agree with, with, with what, what he had to say? Um, yeah. You know, I mean, the interesting question coming out from that was, is he going to run for president or yeah. not? Yeah, so, so, Michelle, that's what I'm wondering, right? So the people are looking at a message like that, they think, I wonder if we're going to see that guy on the ballot. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. And he said, you know, uh, well, I'll let you know, or, or you know, he, he, he didn't, it, it's not determined from that he's telling us anyway. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I mean, like, you know, like Dennis said, we're, everybody agrees, you know, with the, the angry voices on yeah. the, on the side, on the far sides, um, have always been what kind of tries to tear this country apart. We've been talking about civility for decades. Um, mm -hmm. I think we'll continue to do it, but I think it's also important to make sure that, that, you know, uh, uh, call for civility doesn't mean that, you know, we can't share opinions. Uh, Marty, in our last 30 seconds, does a message like that work? Does it motivate? That's what he's trying to find out. This is message testing 101. He's making the rounds to some friendly places and saying, freedom, freedom. Do you like me enough to clap when I say freedom? Okay, you do. How about dumping toxic messages? Ah, did you react to that? Do you like that message? Do I need to change it a little bit? This is obviously setting up to see if it's viable for him to run for president. Mm -hmm. This is all about trying to test with audiences, like a comedian working a small club before he goes and does a Netflix special, testing out material before you take it to prime time. Uh -huh. So interesting. We'll be watching that one closely. I'm sure we're going to have others coming to the state. We'll watch as well. Thank you so much for your great insights this evening. Thank you for listening to The Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.